0: Chapter Ten of *The Guest of Quesna by Booth Tarkington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perrot. Chapter Ten. I had finished dressing next morning and was strapping my things together for the day's campaign when I heard a shuffling step upon the porch and the door opened gently without any previous ceremony of knocking to my angle of vision what at first appeared to have opened it was a tray of coffee rolls eggs and a packet of sandwiches but after hesitating somewhat this apparition advanced farther into the room disclosing a pair of supporting hands followed in due time by the whole person of a nervously smiling invisibly apprehensive Amadie he closed the door behind him by the simple action of backing against it took the cloth from his arm and with a single gesture spread it neatly upon a small table then turning to me laid the forefinger of his right hand warningly upon his lips and bowed me a deferential invitation to occupy the chair beside the table well i said glaring at him what ails you i thought monsieur might prefer his breakfast indoors this morning he returned in a low voice why should i the miserable old man said something i did not understand an incoherent syllable or two suddenly covered his mouth with both hands and turned away i heard a catch in his throat suffocated sounds issued from his bosom however it was nothing more than a momentary seizure and recovering command of himself by a powerful effort he faced me with hypocritical servility why do you laugh i asked indignantly but i did not laugh he replied in a husky whisper not at all you did i asserted raising my voice it almost killed you monsieur he begged hoarsely hush what is the matter i demanded loudly what do you mean by these abominable croakings speak out monsieur he gesticulated in a panic toward the courtyard. Mademoiselle Ward is out there. What? But I did not shout the word. There is always a little window in the rear wall. He breathed in my ear as I dropped into the chair by the table. She would not see you if... I interrupted with all the French rough-and-ready expressions of dislike at my command, daring to hope that they might give him some shadowy, far-away idea of what I thought of both himself and his suggestions, and, notwithstanding the difficulty of expressing strong feeling in whispers, it seemed to me that, in a measure, I succeeded. "'I am not in the habit of crawling out of ventilators,' I added, subduing a tendency to vehemence, and probably Mademoiselle Ward has only come to talk with Madame Brossard. "'I fear some of those people may have told her you were here,' he ventured insinuatingly what people i asked drinking my coffee calmly yet it must be confessed without quite the deliberation i could have wished those who stopped yesterday evening on the way to the chateau they might have recognized impossible i knew none of them but mademoiselle ward knows that you are here without doubt why do you say so because she has inquired for you So i rose at once and went toward the door Why did you tell me at once but surely he remonstrated ignoring my question monsieur will make some change of attire change of attire i echoed Eh uh, the poor old coat all hunched at the shoulders and spotted with paint why shouldn't it be i hissed thoroughly irritated do you take me for a racing marquis but monsieur has a coat much more as a coat ought to be and jean ferret says ha now we're getting at it said i what does jean ferret say perhaps it would be better if i did not repeat out with it what does jean ferret say well then mademoiselle ward's maid from paris has told jean ferret that monsieur and mademoiselle ward have corresponded for years and that-and that, and that go on i bade him ominously that monsieur has sent mademoiselle ward many expensive jewels and aha said i at which he paused abruptly and stood staring at me the idea of explaining miss elizabeth's collection to him of getting anything whatever through that complacent head of his was so hopeless that i did not even consider it there was only one thing to do and perhaps i should have done it i do not know for he saw the menace coiling in my eye and hurriedly retreated monsieur he gasped backing away from me and as his hand fumbling behind him found the latch of the door he opened it and scrambled out by a sort of spiral movement round the casing when i followed a moment later with my traps on my shoulder and the packet of sandwiches in my pocket he was out of sight miss elizabeth sat beneath the arbor at the other end of the courtyard and beside her stood the trim and glossy bay saddle horse that she had ridden from quesnay his head outstretched above his mistress to paddle at the vine-leaves with a tremulous upper lip she checked his desire with a slight movement of her hand upon the bridle-rein and he arched his neck prettily pawing the gravel with a neat forefoot Miss Elizabeth is one of the few large women I have known to whom a riding habit is entirely becoming, and this group of two, a handsome woman and her handsome horse, has had a charm for all men ever since horses were tamed and women began to be beautiful. I thought of my work, of the canvases I meant to cover, but I felt the charm, and I felt it stirringly. It was a fine, fresh morning, and the sun just risen. An expression in the lady's attitude, and air, which I instinctively construed as histrionic, seemed intended to convey that she had been kept waiting, yet had waited without reproach, and although she must have heard me coming, she did not look toward me until I was quite near and spoke her name. At that she sprang up quickly enough and stretched out her hand to me. Run to earth, she cried, advancing a step to meet me. "'A pretty poor trophy of the chase,' said I, "'but proud that you are its killer.' "'To my surprise and mystification, "'her cheese and brow flushed rosily. "'She was obviously conscious of it, and laughed. "'Don't be embarrassed,' she said. "'I? Yes, you, poor man. "'I suppose I couldn't have more thoroughly compromised you. "'Madame Rossard will never believe in your respectability again.' "'Oh, yes, she will.' said i what a lodger who has ladies calling upon him at five o'clock in the morning but your bundle's on your shoulder she rattled on laughing though there's many could be bolder and perhaps you'll let me walk a bit of the way with you if you're for the road perhaps i will said i she caught up her riding skirt fastening it by a clasp at her side and we passed out through the archway and went slowly along the road bordering the forest her horse following obediently at half rein's length when did you hear that i was at madame brossard's i asked ten minutes after i returned to quesnay late yesterday afternoon who told you louise i repeated the name questioningly you mean mrs Larabee harmon louise harmon she corrected didn't you know she was staying at quesnay I guessed it, though Amory got the name confused. Yes, she's been kind enough to look after the place for us while we were away. George won't be back for another ten days, and I've been overseeing an exhibition for him in London. Afterward, I did a round of visits. Tiresome enough, but among people, it's well to keep in touch with on George's account. I see, I said, with a grimness which probably escaped her but how did mrs Harmon know that i was at les trois pigeons she met you once in the forest twice i interrupted she mentioned only once of course she had often heard both george and me speak of you but how did she know it was i and where i was staying oh that her smile changed to a laugh your maitre d hôtel told ferret a gardener at crozenet that you were at the inn he did oh but you mustn't be angry with him he made it quite all right how did he do that i asked trying to speak calmly though there was that in my mind which might have blanched the parchment cheek of a grand inquisitor he told ferret that you were very anxious not to have it known you call that making it all right for himself so, i mean he asked ferret not to mention who it was that told him the rascal i cried the treacherous brazen unfortunate man said miss elizabeth don't you see how clear you're making it that you really meant to hide from us there seemed to be something in that and my tirade broke up in confusion oh no i said lamely i hoped i hoped be careful no i hoped to work down there i blurted and i thought if i saw too much of you i might not she looked at me with widening eyes and i can take my choice she cried of all the different things you may mean by that it's either the most outrageous speech i ever heard or the most flattering but i meant simply no she lifted her hand and stopped me i'd rather believe that i have at least the choice and let it go with that and as i began to laugh she turned to me with a gravity apparently so genuine that for the moment i was fatuous enough to believe that she had said it seriously ensued a pause of some duration which for my part i found disturbing she broke it with a change of subject you think louise very lovely to look at don't you exquisite i answered everyone does i suppose she told you and now i felt myself growing red that I behaved like a drunken acrobat when she came upon me in the path. No, did you? cried Miss Elizabeth, with a ready credulity which I thought by no means pretty. Indeed, she seemed amused, and to my surprise, for she is not an unkind woman, rather heartlessly pleased. Louise only said she knew it must be you, and that she wished she could have had a better look at what you were painting. Heaven bless her! I exclaimed her reticence was angelic yes she has reticence said my companion with enough of the same quality to make me look at her quickly a thin line had been drawn across her forehead you mean she's still reticent with george i ventured yes she answered sadly poor george always hopes of course in the silent way of his kind when they suffer from such unfortunate passions and he waits "'I suppose that former husband of hers recovered?' "'I believe he's still alive somewhere. "'Locked up, I hope,' she finished crisply. "'She retained his name,' I observed. "'Harmon?' "'Yes, she retained it,' said my companion rather shortly. "'At all events, she's rid of him, isn't she?' "'Oh, she's rid of him,' her tone implied an enigmatic reservation of some kind. "'It's hard.' i reflected aloud hard to understand her making that mistake young as she was even in the glimpses of her i've had it was easy to see something of what she's like a fine rare high type but you didn't know him did you miss elizabeth asked with some dryness no i answered i saw him twice once at the time of his accident that was only a nightmare his face covered with-i shivered but i had caught a glimpse of him on the boulevard and of all the dreadful oh but he wasn't always dreadful she interposed quickly he was a fascinating sort of person quite charming and good-looking when she ran away with him though he was horribly dissipated even then he always had been that of course she thought she'd be able to straighten him out poor girl she tried for three years three years it hurts one to think of you see, it must have been something very like a grand passion to hold her through a pain three years long. For tremendous pride, said I, women make an odd world of it for the rest of us. There was good old George, as true and straight a man as ever lived, and she took the other. Yes, George's sister laughed sorrowfully. But George and she have both survived the mistake, I went on with confidence. Her tragedy must have taught her some important differences. Haven't you a notion? She'll be tremendously glad to see him when he comes back from America. Ah, I do hope so, she cried. You see, I'm fearing that he hopes so too, to the degree I'm counting on it. You don't count it on yourself? She shook her head. With any other woman, I should. Why not with Mrs. Harmon? "'Cousin Louise has her ways,' said Miss Elizabeth slowly. "'And whether she could not further explain her doubts, or whether she would not—that was all I got out of her on the subject at the time. I asked one or two more questions, but my companion merely shook her head again, alluding vaguely to her cousin's ways. Then she brightened suddenly, and inquired when I would have my things sent up to the chateau from the inn.' at the risk of a misunderstanding which i felt i could ill afford i resisted her kind hospitality and the outcome of it was that there should be a kind of armistice to begin with my dining at the chateau that evening thereupon she mounted to the saddle a bit of gymnastics for which she declined my assistance and looked down upon me from a great height did anybody ever tell me? was her surprising inquiry that you are the queerest man of these times no i answered don't you think you're a queerer woman Footle, she cried scornfully be off to your woods and your woodscaping the bay horse departed as a smart gait not i was glad to see a parkish trot miss elizabeth wisely set limits to her sacrifices to mode and she was far down the road before i had passed the outer fringe of trees my work was accomplished after a fashion more or less desultory that day i had many absent moments was restless and walked more than i painted oliver saffron did not join me in the late afternoon nor did the echo of distant yodeling bespeak any effort on his part to find me so i gave him up and returned to the inn earlier than usual while dressing, I sent word to Professor Keredec that I should not be able to join him at dinner that evening, and it is to be recorded that Gluglo carried the message for me. Amity did not appear, from which it may be inferred that our maitre hotel was subject to lucid intervals. Certainly his present shyness indicated an intelligence of no low order. End of chapter 10